we're just confused on where you stand. Would you support the framework? Would you vote for a $1.7 trillion package? We negotiated a good, uh, a good number that we worked off of, and we're all dealing in good faith. Good faith? You're dealing in good faith? Are you, Senator Manchin? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Because I'm not so sure. I got the feeling that something Maybe I'm just tired. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. It's been a long negotiation. And I'm I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, hey, here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFC. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Bird and Square Radio, and Detour Talk, not to mention your favorite podcast sites now once again including TuneIn. Oh, hey. Yay. They, they finally fixed whatever was keeping us down over there for the last month, so we're back on TuneIn. Anyway, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Uh, okay, Desi Doyne, hi. Hi. The uh, always delightful Heather Digby-Parton will be joining us momentarily. Yes. To discuss whether Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema actually plan to pass Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda at all. Yeah. You've had some concerns about that. Yes, I have. Or if, uh, in fact, uh, they're playing some wicked uh, or annoying as hell game of kabuki theater in order to kill it, to run out the clock, as you have suggested, Desi. But then again... You're kind of Eeyore on these things <laughs> yes, anyway. Yes, I am very so, cynical. This is true. So pay no attention to her. <laughs> we'll find out what uh, Digby has to say. In any event, let me jump right into this story really quickly because it's kind of amazing. Michigan State Police launched a criminal investigation on Thursday after election equipment at the center of a voting tabulation conspiracy theory went missing what? this week in a rural conservative community. Wow. According to uh, Bridge Michigan, that's the nonprofit, nonpartisan Michigan News Service, which mischaracterizes the community in question as conservative when it is actually Republican or right wing, but it is not conservative. Anyway, I digress. Adams Township Clerk Stephanie Scott, a Republican whose social media has included all sorts of QAnon uh, memes 
had refused to allow a vendor to conduct routine maintenance on a Hart InterCivic voting machine. How did she do that? Well, apparently, she just stole the machine. Wow. Wow. Hillsdale County Clerk Marnie Cast, a fellow Republican who the state has now tasked with running the election in Adams Township uh, this coming week instead of Scott, for reasons I'll explain in a second, uh, Cast told Bridge, Michigan, that her office attempted to retrieve the Adams County equipment earlier this week, but was unable to locate the tablet, which Cast described as the brains of the machine. I don't know where it's at or if it's been tampered with, Cast said. So in a rare move, apparently, the Michigan Bureau of Elections this week stripped Scott of her election administration authority, accusing the first term township clerk of refusing to fulfill her, quote, legal responsibilities and of spreading misinformation about the tabulators used in Hillsdale County. The move echoes, you may recall, what the Secretary of State in Colorado was forced to recently do when she removed the elected county clerk of Mesa County there from her responsibilities because that county clerk snuck into the secure room where voting systems are kept in the middle of the night with two people, one of whom was not authorized to be there at all, turned off the security cameras and made illegal copies of the Dominion Voting System's main software and then shared that software on the Internet during my pillow guy Mike Lindell's ridiculous cyber symposium in South Dakota a few months ago when he was going to reveal absolute proof that the 2020 election was stolen, but seems to have failed to have done so over the three-day conference. Like uh, Mesa County, Colorado's Republican County Clerk Tina Peters... The Republican Adams Township clerk in Michigan, Stephanie Scott, has now been removed from her post by state authorities. The Office of Michigan's Democratic Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, oversees the Election Bureau and declined to comment on Thursday night on all of this citing a, quote, pending criminal investigation, noting that Michigan State Police, quote, are investigating at the request of the Secretary of State. Cast, the Republican county clerk tasked with taking over Scott's duties, remember Scott is the township clerk, uh, Cast said that she and the staff went to the Adams Township Hall to secure the voting machine on Monday at the direction of the Michigan Bureau of Elections director, who had written to Scott that day instructing her to refrain from any election administration activity. County officials collected the tabulator case, but when they unlocked it the next day in their offices at the Hillsdale County Courthouse, quote, the tablet was missing cast said for her part scott told uh, bridge michigan on tuesday that she was concerned about the accuracy of the tabulator and she feared maintenance or servicing by the voting machine company might wipe out old data echoing unfounded evidence-free claims that voting machines were somehow rigged against donald trump in 2020 scott accused the state of quote tyranny <laughs> of course 
for stripping her of her election authority. She told Bridge, quote, the county clerk's office and now secretary of state are demanding I drop off my machine. Well, it's not your machine, sweetheart, uh, for uh, for unfettered access. And God only knows to do what. When you have the fox guarding the hen house, she said, somebody's got to stand up and guard those hens. But apparently she was too chicken to actually do it legally, I guess, and thought that stealing the election equipment was more appropriate than, I don't know, going to court and filing a restraining order on behalf of her constituents or something. There are processes for these kinds of things. The state had recently warned her of potential, quote, consequences should you continue to fail to perform your statutory duties. She was told uh, by letter that the tabulator itself does not actually store any data, which is instead housed on a USB drive during each election. And then later it's downloaded onto a county server for preservation. Local clerks, however, like her, retain all paper ballots. If she had questions about whether the computer tabulator had actually counted those ballots correctly, which is a reasonable concern that I have shared for many years anywhere where there are computer tabulators used to count hand-marked paper ballots, well, she could have simply hand-counted the frickin' ballots, which would have told her if the computer tabulator was somehow hacked or in error or whatever. My God, these people are stupid. And she's the clerk in charge of elections in the township, and she apparently doesn't even realize that. Or at least she used to be in charge of elections before she was removed, you know, for being a blithering idiot and now perhaps even a criminal. Because, you know, those law and order conservatives. (laughs) Am I right? Scott has uh, a personal Facebook page which has all kinds of QAnon conspiracy theory stuff on it. That, of course, is the conspiracy theory that world governments are controlled by a shadowy cabal of pedophiles. Oh, like they're not. <laughs> she uh, she appeared to delete at least some of those posts this week, according to the bridge, because, you know, when you delete something from the Internet, it's totally gone for good. Bridge, Michigan, however, published a number of those deleted posts, and the uh, QAnon references remain sprinkled throughout her Facebook profile. Uh, for example, six days after the 2020 election that was won by Biden, Scott posted to an election fraud theory from a former state senator, added her own commentary saying this isn't over WWG1WGA, which means where we go, one we go all. That's the QAnon uh, tagline. I don't know. She's uh, and she's not alone, by the way, a Trump, the the Trump endorsed candidate for Michigan secretary of state now spoke at a QAnon linked conference just last weekend. Scott, uh, the Adams Township clerk who runs their elections uh, back in February, she posted on Facebook a series of uh, videos purporting to prove election election fraud and theft uh, by pillow guy Mike Lindell that month. She also posted a meme of uh, suggesting that Google is involved in harvesting and adenchrome from children, which is another reference to the conspiracy that celebrities essentially drink kids' bloods in satanic rituals. Again, like they don't. 
<sighs> Scott's posts related to QAnon actually date before the 2020 election in which she was elected but ran unopposed. Great job, Democrats. You let some QAnon loon run unopposed to be the township clerk. Really? Uh, in July of uh, last year, she shared a meme disputing that QAnon is a cult, uh, saying it's a peaceful movement whose sole weapons are logic and research. In the meantime, Michigan's Republican-led Senate Oversight Committee spent months investigating the 2020 election. They found no evidence of widespread, widespread fraud. They debunked all of the various conspiracy theories about what happened uh, in Michigan, saying that uh, voters should be confident in the results in the state where Biden was certified as defeating Trump by more than 150,000 votes. And remember, that was the Republican Senate, Republican majority uh, Senate Oversight Committee. So uh, cast the Republican Hillside County clerk who's been tapped to take over for uh, for Scott for now said she doesn't know anything about uh, she doesn't post to Facebook. She doesn't know anything about QAnon, but she, too, has concerns about the 2020 election. Uh, she says those, however, are limited to, quote, large Democratic cities that appeared to follow a playbook last year, whatever that means. She sounds like a peach, too, doesn't mm. she? You know, those large Democratic cities and with all of those, you know, darker people in them who must be committing voter fraud. She said, however, in this county, there's there's no concerns. I run a tight ship here, she said. So uh, <laughs> this the uh, Hillsdale County Republican Party is supporting Scott in this matter. Uh, you know, the one who stole the voting machines. Oh, boy. Uh, and so, but again, you know, if there's concerns about the results, count the frickin' ballots by hand, you chuckleheads. I thought the QAnon supporters' weapons were logic and research, but they couldn't <laughs> logic and research their way out of this impossible-to-figure-out mystery. Uh, anyway, uh, the uh, head of the uh, county Republican Party said there's not enough transparency. There's not enough direction. There's not enough understanding of how to do and go about it. Research it, genius. I'm sure there must be something out there about the best way to figure out how many votes there are in an election being to count the ballots by hand in the election. The entirety of Hillsdale County, by the way, where this Adams Township is, there are apparently several Adams Townships in Michigan, I've learned. Uh, anyway, they only cast about 23,000 ballots last November. Trump was declared the winner there by 48 points. The entire population of Adams Township is only about 2,500 people. You could count their ballots for president by hand in about an hour. So, listen, I, you know, I understand these concerns. I understand these worries about the voting systems. Anyone who has followed Brad blog or this program knows for years that there are, in fact, many concerns about them. But there are ways to deal with those concerns. Uh, you know, I have warned about exactly this happening for many years. I have warned that when you use secret vote counting mechanisms with things like modems in them that can be hacked to change results, 
that even when they don't change results, even when the results are perfect and the election was secure, you're going to raise suspicions about all of it, which in turn undermines democracy. This continues to be my worst fears playing out. The ones that I've warned about for years. Of course, when those of us who had similar concerns about voting systems and still do uh, 20 years ago, you know, when we pointed these things out, it was Republicans like Scott and Cast, and yes, Democrats like Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who called us crazy conspiracy theorists for pointing out actual vulnerabilities in the systems. But hey, remember when many of us on the non-right had concerns about these voting and tabulation systems, so we stole them? Yeah, no, I don't remember that either. <laughs> when we had questions, we didn't steal voting machines to try to answer them. We worked with county and state election officials who legally allowed analysts to publicly examine the machines and who indeed found tons of vulnerabilities that apparently Republicans who dismissed those very concerns for years and called us moonbats and snowflakes for even raising, well, all of them are now suddenly pretending to be concerned. Or, by the way, we hand-counted ballots to find out if results were accurate whenever possible. What we did not do was carry out criminal acts like stealing voting systems and software. But maybe that's because we weren't so-called law and order conservatives or something. All right. Got that out of my system, at least for now. <laughs> Good. Uh, back to the madness among Democrats in D.C. and beyond regarding the most progressive social safety net and climate legislation to ever have a chance of actually being adopted by the federal government. Maybe. Heather Digby Parton uh, joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Desi. The broadcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Sha -la -la, bum, bum, bum. Yep, yep. Oh, blue angel, have no fear. I'll rush away. Lonely teardrop. Yeah, there's some. Uh, a bumper music suggestion from listener Ron R. And it seemed particularly appropriate for my Blue Angel guest coming up momentarily. Always on the lookout for good ideas for Heather Digby Parton theme songs. Anyway, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So on our previous show, I was talking about... The distressing drumbeat in recent weeks about news of key provisions in the Democrats' Build Back Better bill, with its seemingly endless negotiations among Democrats that were being dropped to appease obstructionist Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, in hopes of winning their votes in a 50-50 Senate where every other Democratic senator and all the Democrats in the House and at the White House were all good to go 
weeks ago when the plan for the Biden agenda was still at $3.5 trillion before being whittled away in recent weeks in hopes of winning the needed votes of Manchin and Cinema to what is now, as the White House broke it down on Thursday, a smaller, though frankly still historically huge $1.75 trillion social safety net and climate change action bill. The constant news, however, of the cuts in the programs in the still massive, arguably still transformative bill, aside from being depressing for progressives who are forced to stuff years, if not decades, of much-needed expansions to the nation's health care, education, child care, elder care programs, not to mention climate action, stuff all of that into one single bill that can be passed without a single Republican vote because they won't get any. That constant news of things coming out of the bill has also served to obscure the pretty remarkable list of transformative stuff that is still in the bill presuming it can ever be passed into law. For example, just some of the stuff that is still in the Build Back Better bill, at least as of the president's speech at the White House on Thursday afternoon, just before he left for his two-week trip to Europe's G20 in Italy and the critical U.N. climate summit in Glasgow. Expanded child tax credits payable each month to parents of approximately $300 per child. That would continue that would be extended for another year the expanded earned income tax credit that goes to 17 million childless low-income workers that would also continue for another year and woe be to the majority party in congress who failed to further extend either of those measures when they time out universal pre-kindergarten for all three and four-year-olds and child care subsidies for poor and middle-income americans 40 billion dollars for higher education raising the size of pell grants and providing funding for historically black colleges and universities medicare would be expanded to cover hearing aids for the first time expanded tax credits continuing the lowering of insurance premiums on the Affordable Care Act exchange that were first begun under the Democrats' American Rescue Plan earlier this year with zero Republican votes, I should note. That will be extended for another four years. $150 billion for a Medicaid program that supports home health care. $90 billion for investments that would include funding maternal health, community violence initiatives, dis disadvantaged farmers, nutrition, and pandemic preparation. $150 billion toward housing affordability with the goal of building more than 1 million new rental and single-family homes. $320 billion worth of clean energy tax credits to help businesses and homeowners shift to renewable energy for electricity, vehicles, and manufacturing. $105 billion toward investment that would improve communities' ability to withstand extreme weather caused by climate change. And for a civilian climate core that focuses on conserving public lands, and bolstering community resilience to flooding, drought, and other extreme weather emergencies in our now climate change-fueled world. $110 billion to develop new domestic supply chains and develop new solar and battery technologies. $20 billion for the government to become the buyer of clean energy technologies. 
funds to beef up the IRS to improve collections and close the gap between taxes owed and taxes actually paid. A 15% minimum income tax on huge corporations and a new surtax on multimillionaires and billionaires. New provisions designed to deter multinational companies from hiding profits in low-tax countries, closing a loophole that allows some wealthy taxpayers to avoid paying the Medicare tax on their earnings. A lot of stuff, including a lot of good progressive stuff that progressives have fought for for years, and that's just some of it. What's been removed from the bill to win the votes of the two and only two Democratic lawmakers in the entire caucus holding things up for weeks and months on end? Well, a proposal to expand Medicare to cover dental and vision. That's out. Paid family and medical leave to new parents. Uh, those caring for loved ones or those caring, uh, recovering from an illness. That is out. And a proposal to have Medicare negotiate prescription drug prices. All important, long overdue proposals that are extremely frustrating to lose for, frankly, no good reason at all, other than because it is being demanded by Mansion and Cinema. But still, as you can tell, there remains a lot more really, really good stuff in this bill, leaving the fight for those things that are taken out for another time. Nonetheless, this fight between Mansion Cinema and all of the other Democrats in Congress and at the White House is not over until the package is actually passed in both the House and Senate and then signed by the president. When news broke late on Wednesday that the uh, family and medical leave provisions had been removed from the bill at Manchin's insistence, it felt as if that was the final straw, that Manchin wasn't actually negotiating in good faith. Manchin and perhaps Cinema were actually trying to kill this bill, period. Now, I was somewhat heartened by Joe Biden's optimistic and encouraging remarks at the White House on Thursday, followed by similarly optimistic remarks by House Progressive Caucus leader, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, who uh, representing progressives in the House, has really become an important player in these negotiations. Frankly, for the first time in my life that I can remember progressives wielding quite this much power in Congress, wielding any at all, to be frank. So while I was ready to jump off a bridge on Wednesday night, I'm back on the ledge, at least for the moment. We'll see if Heather Digby Parton ends up walking me back off it or back onto the bridge. Uh, despite this so-called historic agreement, as Biden described it on um, on Thursday uh, on the Build Back Better agenda, it's not entirely clear who, if anyone, has yet to actually agree to it. Manchin has continuously insisted that he has been negotiating in, quote, good faith. And Cinema, for her part, she released a statement on uh, Thursday reading, quote, After months of productive, good-faith negotiations with President Biden and the White House, we have made significant progress on the proposed budget reconciliation package, adding, I look forward to getting this done, expanding economic opportunities, and helping everyday families get ahead. But notably, neither of them were willing to say that they would actually, you know, Vote for the bill, leaving open the question uh, as to whether they were simply trying to force passage of their much smaller bipartisan hard infrastructure bill, the so-called BIF 
for bipartisan infrastructure before then bailing entirely on the larger Build Back Better bill. Well, let's see where Heather Digby Parton is on this roller coaster right now. Heather, of course, is the much beloved longtime blogger known as simply Digby at her long running Hullabaloo blog. She's also a longtime columnist for Salon.com and the winner of the Sydney, Sydney Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Oh, hello again, Heather. Hello. Good to have you here. I. So, you know, I, I really don't know anymore if Manchin and Cinema actually plan to vote in favor of the Build Back Better bill. And, uh, you know, as of, I think it was Wednesday, when the word came in that Manchin had forced them to kill family leave, which had already been reduced from 12 weeks to four weeks, supposedly to mollify him and, uh, and, and Cinema, uh, it really seemed like, you know what, he has no intention of actually allowing this bill to ultimately go through. At, at this point, I have no idea, really, but I, I, I'm really starting to wonder, do you have any clarity at all into this and whether the goal of uh, Manchinima, as they are known, is, is actually to run out the clock and actually kill this bill? Uh, well, I wish I, I wish I did know that, but I don't. Uh, I agree with you 100% that when you look at the way that he, Manchin in particular, you know, Cinema's gotten a lot of, of, of uh, justifiable criticism for um, the way that she has, has, you know, negotiated during this, this um, you know, this big negotiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has been very untransparent about it. She mm-hmm. hasn't said what she wanted. She's dealing only with the White House. She's not talking to anybody. And, and she's got some trouble in her home state, I think, because of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, she had made some kind of political calculation that this was good for her, that she would be the John McCain maverick person. But, you know, you need to remember that if, you know, John McCain voted with his party you know, well over 90% of the mm-hmm. time. He was not a maverick when it came to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was more of a kind of a rhetorical, stylistic thing mm-hmm. um, where he would criticize his own and do whatever. But at the end of the day, except for that final vote on Obamacare, where, you know, McCain was, frankly, I mean, he was dying and Donald Trump had treated him like dirt. Mm-hmm. And I think in some way the guy had been part of the healthcare system for many, many years, ever since he was a POW, and had maybe some conscience mm, <laughs> about maybe. taking, ta- you know, mm. on his deathbed, <laughs> about yeah, taking health care away from you. I don't know. But that's really an unusual, that was an unusual mm-hmm. step for him to take. He was not the kind of guy who would vote against the party, certainly not being one vote, being the only person to do it. Mm-hmm. And even in the Obamacare situation, he was, he, you know, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski voted against the repeal as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that her, if, she, if that's what she's trying to do is be John McCain, she better think real hard about whether or not she wants to, to uh, blow up this, this big bill. Which she is the is... signature legislation of Joe Biden yeah. and the Democratic agenda, which if it falls apart, it's not so much the policies, which I think, and thank you for laying out that great, list of what's in the bill and and what has come out of the bill but you know that i don't think people are really aware they're just seeing the churn and the the mm-hmm. storm and drong of this negotiation and i don't think that that you know that's going to help kirsten cinema to to blow up this bill if only because it will just prove the democrats to be impotent chaotic and incompetent but and i you know i don't know if it matters I'm sorry? it may not 
It uh, may not, and you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that either. Um, but I think Manchin is the real. Um, I, I think it, from what we've heard in the last couple of weeks, Cinema seems to be. She, she's playing coy, of course. She's a diva, as is Manchin. And the two of them, the diva twins, as I call them, are, um, you know, uh, they're both strutting around and preening and doing, you know, throwing their weight around mm-hmm. in this whole thing. But from the word that we're getting back from people who've been talking to her, which has been unusual since she's only up to now pretty much talked to the White House, right. is that she seems to be saying, I, want, I will vote for this bill now, whether or not she's going to vote for the framework that Joe, that, uh, Joe Biden announced mm-hmm. on Thursday. That I don't know, but it does seem it doesn't seem to me like she's just sitting there saying, "Yeah, well, whatever," and isn't going to vote for it. Manchin, on the other hand, I absolutely do not know where he is on that, and he has said a lot of things. First of all, he wanted this big pause, right? Mm-hmm. He wanted to let's just wait for six months and see, you know, which was idiotic, of course. Um, and and he had been in a tiff with he and Bernie Sanders had been in a meeting. Mm-hmm. I think it was a week or so ago. And Bernie Sanders said, "You know, well, I wanted 3.5. I was comfortable with 3.5 trillion. They were fighting, and mm-hmm. and Manchin said to him, well, you know what I'm comfortable with?' And he held up a big zero. Yeah, to me, it was kind of ooh, you know, that's, yeah, that's well, not that's uh, not good. And that's why when you say that, oh, it was you know ridiculous the idea that he said we should put a pause for six months or whatever. That's not all that ridiculous if your goal is to kill this thing. Right, right. And, you know, never mind cinema. She's not very good at John McCaining. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to wonder if, uh, if, if Manchin actually wants to kill this thing. And he sort of has a partner in crime here with cinema who, at this point, I think she's got more interest in, uh, you know, uh, if, she, if she is going to win re-election in 2024, it's not going to be thanks to Democrats. It's going to be thanks to Republicans at this right. point, it seems to me. So they both have a stake in, uh, in killing this bill, it seems. Well, I mean, it may be that, that you know, cinema's made that calculation. I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, and look, let's also remember, Joe Manchin did another thing. He threw out a trial balloon a couple of weeks ago that he might leave the party. Uh, yep. And that, of course, <laughs> has been hanging over this whole thing from mm-hmm. the beginning. When you have a 50-50 Senate, as you and I remember, mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s when it happened, mm-hmm. you can flip yep. the Senate. And then the agenda is completely, that there is no more agenda. If Manchin were to switch parties, or cinema, either one, or mm-hmm. anybody else yeah. in the Democratic Party, decided to do that, that's the end. That's it. There's no more agenda. We can, everybody can just go home. Uh, and and that'll be that. And, and, you know, and that's a point that I want to get to in a minute, because uh, I want to talk to you about some of the criticism coming from the left about all of this. Oh. And I don't think they seem to be noticing that point, that the majority control could be lost literally any second here. But before we get to the uh, to the to the Democrats, let me let me the corporate media have been decidedly unhelpful here in their coverage of of all of this, I think, over the past several months in at least two different ways, uh, as I see it. One. Uh, by describing this as a battle between progressives and the moderate or centrist wings of the Democratic Party, uh, when it's actually a fight between Manchin Cinema and every other Democrat. Right. That's one problem. And two, uh, by focusing on the final price tag of the bill, even though it's fully paid for in theory, by the way, 
rather than the contents of the bill itself. And by the way, the Republican bill, the bipartisan bill that Manchin and Cinema worked on, that is not paid for. That is going to add to the deficit. In any event, they've been focusing on the price tag rather than the contents of the bill. I don't think there's anything centrist or moderate about what Manchinema are doing. I think it's obstructionist and or corrupt. Take your pick. Am I being overly hostile there, Heather? No, you are not. I do not think so. Both Manchin and Cinema have serious questions about their motives mm-hmm. in all of this. And, you know, maybe it's McCaining, maybe it's Manchin representing his West Virginia voters. I mean, all those things play into it. But you cannot ignore the fact that Kirsten Cinema has been fundraising like crazy from, you know, Big Pharma, mm-hmm. and then she went and killed the, which is really one of the stunning things that she has done. That's quite a legacy. Um, that killing the, the negotiating for lower prescription drug prices, which yep. Democrats have been promising since 2006. Yep. And, Inclu- um, including so, and, uh, including cinema, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, including cinema. Yeah. She ran on it yeah. back then. Right. I mean, that was one of her issues. But, you know, she's been meeting with all those people. and She's having meetings. She's just not having meetings with constituents or right. with other senators. Right. Um, and Manchin, of course, is you know he's got a huge investment in coal in his in his state, and he is definitely in the pockets of the fossil fuel industry in a million different ways, and also is just someone who, you know, listens to that particular uh, that particular group of special interests, all of them, and has kind of an, an ideological and sort of temperamental affiliation with many of these big industrial right-wing, well, I shouldn't even call them right-wing. They're just big, you know, it's just big business, big right. money. Corporate is money, and, yeah. and he makes a lot of money right. from those people, both uh, for his campaign and for his personal coffers. And, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if before all is said and done, if this bill moves forward, Joe Manchin says, you know what, every climate uh, provision in there needs to come out. That would not surprise me. But, uh, you know, not everything, uh, looking at where it is now as of this framework on Thursday, obviously not everything the Democrats and progressives wanted is going to be in this thing. Nonetheless, it seems to me there is a lot there. And if the bill ends up being passed as anything that is close to what the current framework uh, currently is, along with the uh, smaller uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is actually pretty hefty in and of itself, in truth, uh, does that end up still being, uh, as you see it, a transformative piece of uh, legislation along the lines of LBJ's Great Society, FDR's New Deal, et cetera, in your opinion? Uh, it could be. And, you know, you have to also add on the American Rescue Plan that, yeah. that the Democrats passed in the, in the beginning, mm-hmm. which was like $1.9 trillion. It's a lot of money, and it's a lot of, of different programs that have been, you know, ne- uh, meeting the needs of people that have been neglected for many, many years, mm-hmm. shoring up other programs. There, there's a, a broad constituency for all of these things. You know, and you never know whether or not that's going to politically pay off. People have a very limited understanding, and part of this, I, you know, to your criticism of the media in, in you know, focusing so heavily on the price tag mm-hmm. and the fights between, you know, Mansion Cinema and, and everybody else in the party and the Republicans just laying out and doing nothing, sitting by over, you know, over on the couch and you know, scratching their bellies and watching this whole thing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact is, is that is that 
this is a, you know, I think Brian Schatz, the, the senator from Hawaii, mm-hmm. tweeted on Friday that, you know, look, that if this passes, this shows results of three very active Congress, Congresses in normal times. The fact that they would be able to get all of this stuff done yep. in one Congress, in one year, mm-hmm. really, um, you know, is, is, is pretty amazing. The fact that they, if they can do it, if they can get it done with these narrow majorities, it's kind of a miracle. And yep. I think, you know, this is one thing people have to keep in mind. After the election in November, I think most, peop- most observers were watching this. They didn't necessarily think we were going to pull it off in Georgia, mm-hmm. which would have meant Mitch McConnell was still the majority leader. I yep. mean, there was a chance maybe they'd get half of them. Or, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. People's hopes were high. But nonetheless, there was a ton of analysis, which most of us weren't paying attention to because we were watching the freak show that was happening with Donald Trump and his, <laughs> his you know, big stop the steal, big lie, right? What, what, so what freak show? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, right. About. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll fill you in on that. Okay, tell time. me later, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was, there was, you know, there were people who were doing analysis at the time saying, look, everybody better lower their expectations because there is zero chance that they can get anything done in this Congress with these narrow majorities. Nothing's going to pass. The best you could hope for is maybe a few things where you could drag, you know, enough Republicans over the line. There was some hope maybe that the Democrats would agree to kill the filibuster, but most people felt like that was pretty heavy lift as well. Well, when, when the Georgia runoff went the Democrats' way and they got the Senate, and still it was 50-50, and then, you know, Trump tried to, you know, stage a coup, and we had a violent insurrection on the Capitol. People started to think maybe the Democrats were in a position just, you know, on the basis of, you know, popular demand <laughs> that they be a real government and mm-hmm. do these things, and maybe they could get this stuff passed. To get to this point, I mean, they, did, they have passed two major bills already, the American Rescue Plan the BIF, the, mm-hmm. the infrastructure bill, and now this reconciliation plan is the third piece of that, and it's getting closer every day. Now, I know well, you and I just spent the last half hour, you know, mm-hmm. trashing Mansion Cinema, the process, talking about how, you know, horrible this whole thing has been. The sausage making is among the ugliest I've ever seen <laughs> with because it's all within the Democratic Party. So right. it's very painful for people who are not Republicans, to watch this thing <laughs> and watch it unfold. And the press has been its usual self, reverting to old narratives about Democrats in disarray, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, having said all that, that it does appear to be moving in a positive direction. And if that happens, despite the fact that we lost some very important programs in there, and I think just as an aside, politically stupid to lose those programs. The things like family paid family leave, Medicare expansion, mm-hmm. um, you know, community college. There are certain issues that have built-in constituencies, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, parents, mm-hmm. <laughs> old people. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it those is. are built-in, and they would fight to keep those programs. If, this, if the Republicans come in and start trying to, to, you know, roll all this stuff back, which you know they'll try to do if they get the power to do it, mm-hmm. If there are strong constituencies that are defending it, they won't be able to. Well, and the, the idea that you, you know, I mean, I'm not the one who didn't just come up with this. People like Dave Dayan, who wrote a big piece in the mm-hmm. New York Times this week, this past week. Um, you know, they, this, 
this is, you know, this is politics, sort of politics 101. But again, they're at the mercy of Joe Manchin. They're at the mercy of Kirsten Cinema, And this is where we're at. Well, so you've got you wanna... you to go with what you have. And what they have left, if they can get those two to sign on to what's left in the bill, yes, it will be a major Achievement. Major. So let me let me jump in on that point because you know there is. I want to talk about. Uh, let's see if I can make you some friends in the Twitter sphere, uh, Heather. Let, I want to talk about you know s- some of the progressives in that Twitter sphere uh, who seem unclear as far as who is to blame. Yes, it's politically stupid to remove uh, negotiating you know over uh, prescription drug prices and so forth, but I, I you know. To me, it's very clear who is to blame. It is not the Democrats. It is not a weak president or Nancy Pelosi. Or I have seen uh, some progressives turning against Sander and AOC, for Christ's sake. Um, You know, some of these really self-defeating, contrarian, so-called progressives who seem to believe... Uh, according to some of the, you know, parts of my uh, sort of the grim, self-loathing parts of, of, of my Twitter feed <laughs> coming in, you know, that somehow this is all the Democrats doing. Is it the Democrats or is it Manchin and Cinema and only Manchin and Cinema plus the entirety of the Republican Party? It is only Manchin and Cinema plus the entirety of the Republican Party. So I was... It is not the Democrats. Look, Joe Manchin or yeah. Joe Biden is hardly... You know, a bleeding heart liberal, right? I mean, he's just sort of mm-hmm. a mainstream Democrat, yep. kind of, you know, just average Joe man, Joe Biden. Right. You've got progressives in the House. You've got, you've got, you know, sort of more centrist conservatives. You've got people from red states. You've got, you know, it's a big coalition. Mm-hmm. And all of them, except for the two senators and a couple of people in the House, and they've just, you know, Nancy Pelosi kind of swatted them aside, and that's that, you know, she, she'll pass her bill. With, with, without any problem from those people. But that it's these two people in the Senate. That's it. Okay, and look, so, this is a problem with our system that yep. allows that kind of so let me, power. So, so let me ask you to respond to this uh, comment on Facebook uh, in response to yesterday's show, where I talked about all of this uh, quite a bit. Uh, Steve Justino on Facebook. Long uh, comment, but I'll, I'll get to the uh, key parts here. Quote, Corporate-funded, corporate-controlled Democrats from Manchin and Cinema, from Pelosi to Schumer, from Obama to Biden are all part of the problem. They're all corrupt. They didn't fight for us. It was all kabuki. They are corporatists and oligarchs, and they gave the corporatist oligarchy exactly what it wants. Corporatist Democrats, including Biden, didn't fight for Biden's already half-a-loaf proposal because they didn't really support it. Corporatist Democrats use conservative Democrats like Manchin and Cinema as a smokescreen. As you might guess, I could respond to that, but let me let you do it. <laughs> well, that's it's look, that's absurd. That is not what happened. I mean, we all watched this unfold. It was not kabuki. They are that you know, they they have they could do a lot of kabuki that would be better than this, right? I mean, this <laughs> is like, oh good. Let's let's do this thing and then let's tank the bill that I proposed so that we can lose that Congress in 2022 right. and I can lose uh, the election in 2024 and we can bring back Donald Trump because that will really be good for all of us. I mean, that's that's just not a that's not a rational sort of thing. I you know, you always hear this stuff. I don't think it's a majority of people and I don't think it's a majority of progressives. I mean, to be honest with you, 
I have found the progressives, and I want to stand up for progressives in Mm -hmm. this whole thing, because I don't think they're being represented by those people on Twitter and Facebook. I don't think those people on Facebook understand what the progressives have done. Or, or by the way, that they could lose everything as soon as Manchin, you know, they want uh, Biden to, why doesn't he go to West Virginia and rally there? And all you got to do is in any afternoon, Manchin or Cinema says, you know what, I'm no longer caucusing with the Democrats, and boom, the entire thing is run again by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, and the entire Biden right. it's progressive over. It's done. Democratic it's game agenda is over. over. Yep. Yeah, game over. I mean, and that had, that threat has been there this entire yes, time. It and has. for those people who maybe are not old enough to remember, I'll just go back and remind them, as I did earlier, that happened in 2002. Yes. Jim Jeffords, a Republican, yep. switched parties yep. and changed. <laughs> and, and turned it over to, uh, made it into a 50-50 Senate with the Democrats um, and caucused with the Democrats. That it, You know, Arlen Specter switched cr- parties. Yep. This happens. This is not some weird, you know, oh, my Correct. God, you know, what are you talking about? It could happen. Joe Manchin actually has floated a trial balloon saying that he might do it. Right. So let's everybody just, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. And I've been saying this from the very beginning of this. I'm going, hey, everybody knows that with a 50-50 Senate, we're... Mm-hmm. We are teetering on the edge of disaster. Right. And that's one reason why you have to, you know, kiss the rings of these two people the way that everybody's had to do. I don't like it. I mean, I'm not defending it as a, as a great system. I think the whole, I've told you before, I think the Senate should be abolished. I have no reason to believe we even need such a thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And so, you know, I'm not, I am, I'm not in favor of this, but it is the reality here. And so within that context... People need to look at what progressives have done and recognize that the power that they have exerted in this whole thing and the way that they have so, you know, very efficiently gone about protecting their own flanks. I mean, yes, it's that they've, you know, lost half of what the original proposal was. I don't think anybody is in, surprised by that. In that is, size. That is, They've lost know, it in size, in dollars, not necessarily in, in, in content, exactly. in substance. And in fact, so, I remember reading yeah. a thing, and maybe I mentioned this to you the last time I was on, but yeah. there, I, read a, I read a piece, and I think it, I, it went up in the Hill, by you know a top congressional analyst who said, this 3.5 isn't a real number. This is just a number, and nobody really knows what it is, and nobody really knows that when it's scored that it's going to mean any more at that number mm-hmm. than it will at $2 trillion or 2.3 or whatever it was that right. he used in his example. This has been nebulous from the start. I right. mean, for, for reasons, and I think on a strategic level, the Democrats kind of made a mistake in emphasizing it so much, which was something that they wanted to do to just show how big it was and also right. give them something to negotiate down from. But if it's, if it's you know, a uh, five-years uh, extension of the Obamacare uh, premium subsidies versus 10 years, well, good luck to that. As I said in the opening, good luck to that, you know, Congress who decides right. after five years that they want to charge everybody much more for their health care. And maybe it's fair enough to say, okay, we're going to have to fight this out over the next decade or two to see what of, which of these, what, how these programs work, which ones are going to stick. I mean, that's, that's happened before. I mean, this is something that, that is part of our system. It's not pretty. I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's right, but it is what it is. And the fact is, is that the progressives did an excellent job, led by, who, as you pointed out earlier, Pramila Jayapal from yes. Washington. She's been, uh, she's been excellent. And also, some of the sort of hard-charging progressives that, that come in for a ton of criticism, like Elon Omar. 
she has also been really good. Yeah. Here. I know people, you know, this, she's not just, she's not the, the left's Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a real legislator. Yeah. And she's been in there. And when you look at, when you hear that, you know, what she says and what some of the other progressives say, I've just been so impressed by the maturity and the deep kind of commitment and understanding to the legislative process and understanding how they were going to go about getting this in this extremely difficult situation with only, you know, 50 senators and then the House has a very narrow majority too, you know, and, and in the face of this, you know, this you know, block of opposition in the Republicans. I, I, that, want, you know, I think they've been great. I, I do too, and I wanted to say uh, I, 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 I love that the media are now following around uh, Pramila Jayapal to get her response on all of this as the chair of the Progressive Caucus yep. in Congress. In my lifetime, Heather, I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know if I'm remembering this. Maybe you remember something I don't. But I have never seen a nope. chair of the Progressive Caucus get anything but ignored and dismissed. Frankly, not only by the rest of the party and the rest of Congress, but by the media. Now they're following around. What's Jayapal's response to all of oh. this? I have never seen this. What is going on here, Heather? Well, they have just, it's because, first of all, she's great. <laughs> she's, she is. She's someone that is, that is a, an extremely, you know, uh, articulate spokesperson for progressives. And, it is, and she does it in a way that is very uh, appealing, mm -hmm. I think, uh, to, the, to the public. And it's also that, you know, look, they have been major players in this. This is not, and they did it in a super interesting way because they went about it by saying, we are here for Joe Biden's plan. Yes. And Joe Biden had something to say about that, too. But, they, they, you know, nobody was triangulating this time yeah, no, against the progressives. Nobody did that. And as a result, the progressives, they, they use the power that they have in the House. And, of course, you have Bernie Sanders on the Senate mm -hmm. side as the head of the Budget Committee, right? So these people, you know, and he's been good, too. I mean, you know, I, he's been... You know, a real statesman, I think, in this whole thing. It was and brilliant to say, you know, well, we are fighting for the president's agenda. Yes. It was brilliant. And uh, and it was also also has the benefit of being true, yeah. which is why it is so stunning and shocking and stupid and knee jerk and ill considered and self-defeating when I see uh, folks actually going after Bernie Sanders, AOC. Oh, what sellouts. They should have fought harder for us. It's like, what world are you people living on? Anyway, Heather, I got to get out. You are delightful and awesome as always, and we should do this more often. I know I say Anytime. that every time, but let's do uh, it. Let's do it when okay. they when they pass this thing. Okay, we'll oh, get no. together and celebrate. Oh well, then we'll never have you back. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they will. Hopefully, yeah. it will be. Jayapal thinks maybe even within the next week. We'll see. They've been saying that every week for about a month now. But anyway. I know. Heather Digby Parton can be found uh, every uh, day over at Digby, digbysblog.net and, of course, over at salon.com. You can also find her on the Twitters at Digby56. Heather, always great speaking with you. Look forward to the next time. Thanks for having me. Okay. Yes, I know. Stop <laughs> looking at me that way. Quick break, and we're back yes. with our closing few minutes. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. No, it's not. No, it's not. I have to get out. I ran late. Yes. Uh, well, uh, welcome back to the broadcast. It's almost over. But Des, you had uh, some thoughts there while we were talking. About uh, yeah, when you guys were talking about the uh, the very uh, real possibility that Mansion and Cinema could flip to the other party, and that would destroy Democrats' uh, very razor thin yeah. majority in the U.S. Senate instantly. And you know, and I really hate to say this, but climate action mm-hmm. kind of requires electing more Democrats to Congress, to the House and the mm-hmm. Senate. I, I agree with Max Booth, the conservative columnist on this, that that only the Democratic Party has the numbers to hold the congressional majorities in the House and Senate, mm-hmm. and we really don't have any more time to waste for climate change. Yeah, I know. Uh, when I hear people complaining about why aren't the Democrats doing this, why aren't the Democrats doing that, uh, the answer is elect more Democrats. Yeah. I mean, and it'll be a lot easier for them to do a lot of things. It's true. And and again, seriously, we are in deep, deep, deep trouble with climate change. And if we do not get on the stick and move this faster than we're than we've ever moved anything before, we are going to be very sorry for it. We are in deep doo doo when it comes to the climate. We are in deep doo doo when it comes to democracy. And, and that's why yeah. I think you said I hate to say it. Uh, I, I, I share that. I hate to say it. But yeah, elect more Democrats right now. That's what is called for if we want to save the nation Hmm. and if we want to save humanity. Yeah. Just those little two little things. Yep. All right. We do have to get out. My thanks to uh, our guest today, our great guest, uh, Salon's Heather Digby-Parton, and uh, my producer, of course, Desi Doyen, and Mm -hmm. all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. All made possible by those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.